0: Hi again, and welcome to the Core of the Bible podcast. My name is Steve, and I will be your host again as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. As you may know, it's my belief the Core of the Bible consists of seven main principles of conduct surrounding the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And all seven of these headings or topics are drawn from the Sermon on the Mount, And each of these topics has a number of thoughts that surround each one. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at aspects on the topic of holiness. So to begin, it's probably a good place to start uh, by defining what is holiness. And in Hebrew, some words used to express this concept of holiness are um, kadosh, which is sacred or holy. And that's used in places like a holy place or a holy people used to describe something that's holy. There's also the Hebrew word kodesh, which is very similar to kadosh, <laughs> just a little different variation on the vowels. But kodesh is this idea of apartness or sacredness, as in a holy assembly, assembly that's set apart for a, a certain purpose. And in Greek, the words are hagios which in proper terms means differentness. I don't know if that's a real word either, differentness. We'll use it. Differentness, or unlike other things, or it means otherness. Again, another kind of made-up word, but differentness and otherness have, I think they convey better what this concept is of being apart from others. And then Hagiosune in Greek, which is also a holy or a sanctified state. That's the state... Of being holy or set apart, so following on this theme of apartness or separateness, I've paraphrased some of the thoughts of Yeshua that he expressed on this topic within the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's take a look at some of these, and these are paraphrases from uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. So looking at Matthew five eight, have a pure and blameless heart at all times, and you will be blessed seeing God. So being pure and blameless is being set apart from those who are not. Uh, Matthew 6, verses uh, 6 through 9. Make every effort to pray in a private place, simply and sincerely. So there's an opportunity to be set apart from everybody else because you're doing something privately and sincerely from your heart. You're praying. In Matthew six seventeen, 17, Yeshua says, When you fast, take measures to be certain. It's not obvious to others. So when you're fasting, you're set apart from everybody else. You're doing something that everybody else is not doing. Matthew 5:31. Yeshua says, "Never forsake your commitment to your spouse, and do not even think about others lustfully in your heart." And certainly that's an admonition for us today to be separate from the world around us, where that's not necessarily the case. Um, we need to obviously remain set apart from others by remaining committed to our spouses. Matthew 5, verse four. Yeshua says, grieve for unrighteousness and you will be blessed as God will be near to comfort you. So grieving for unrighteousness is not something the rest of the world typically does. They don't see any value in being righteous. And so why would they grieve for unrighteousness? And they may be frustrated that they see how dysfunctional the world can be and how dysfunctional things are in their own lives. And they may grieve for that. And ultimately, um, that type of Grief can lead to repentance, uh, at least that's what the Bible teaches. But uh, by and large, most people do not grieve for unrighteousness. They're just unhappy with it. But when you grieve for unrighteousness, you're grieving as God grieves. You're being made sad by the same things that make God sad. And then in Matthew 6, 22, The lamp of the body is its gaze, and with clear vision your whole being will shine brightly. So this idea of having an inward purity, which you can clearly see what's going on around you, and that shines outwardly, that's not necessarily what the rest of the world does. That sets us apart. If we have that purity inside, then we can see correctly and we can shine. We can be an example to those around us, a good example to those around us. Let's hope it's a good example. So all of these characteristics obviously represent the uniqueness of the life of a believer. These are not things that everybody does or is involved in. Our apartness or holiness is represented in these practices. So today I wanted to be focusing on the main verse on this topic in Yeshua's teaching, which is Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I've paraphrased this conceptually as have a pure and blameless heart at all times, and you will be blessed seeing God. So having a, pl- a blameless heart at all times will allow us to be blessed seeing God. So we're going to get into that and discuss what some of those terms mean. So let's look at the purity of heart is from the word katharos in Greek, which means clean or unstained, either literally or ceremonially or spiritually guiltless, innocent, upright, without admixture. That's not a word you hear a lot today, but admixture is just a combining of different elements and materials that um, are blended together. So this purity of heart is definitely something that's different than the rest of the world and is a primary aspect of this state of being set apart. So when we're kept from disobedience or sin, we are in a state of apartness or being separate. So purity of heart is a root, a foundation of holiness. So that establishes some of the concepts of purity, this idea of being unstained. But what about the concept of the heart? And in the sense being discussed here, the heart is actually the center or the source of what you do physically and ethically. This is brought out in a passage in Proverbs 4. You may be familiar with verses 23 through 27. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. So when the heart is right, we can see based on this passage, then our speech, our focus, and our walk will be in line and keep us from disobedience. I mean, how many times can you recall saying the wrong thing or taking your eyes off of God or walking where you shouldn't be walking? My own personal list would be extensive. But according to this proverb, we need to keep our heart with all vigilance For from it flow the springs of life. Because what is in our heart is what we express outwardly. Yeshua teaches this in Luke 6, a parallel passage to the Sermon on the Mount. In 6.45, he says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So since purity of heart is so critical, Are there practical ways that we can observe keeping our heart pure? And what are some of the things the Bible lists that we should do or avoid doing in order to maintain purity of heart? So let's look at some passages that I've collected as representative examples of this idea of purity of heart. can start in Psalm 51 verses 10 and 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Very famous passage. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. So what is it that we are encouraged to do in this passage? First of all, we need to ask God to begin the process. It starts there. It's a bold prayer but one that has life-altering effects. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is where the process begins, having a willing spirit and an open mind to the things of God. And we can see in this passage also, it says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. So a primary benefit is that a clean heart then allows one to teach others and others can come to know God as well. But of course, the flip side of that is then if our hearts are not pure, then we can't or won't be effective in sharing kingdom principles with others. So that's something to consider as well. Here's another passage in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Another version says, Who shall go up to the mountain of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that is innocent in his hands. It's not just clean hands. It's the innocent in his hands. So what is it that we are encouraged to do from this passage? Well, this idea that you have clean or innocent hands, and the term implies that it's a state of being guiltless. We're to have honest actions. And dealings with others in all that we do. What is this passage saying that we should avoid? Well, it says we should avoid lifting up the soul to what is false or vanity. And this idea of falseness or vanity is conveyed in a Hebrew word, shav, which is um, a destructive type of evil or that which is usually Associated with idolatry. And of course, the evils of idolatry are all through the Bible. And um, Israel is constantly lapsing into poor judgment and following the idolatry of the nations around them and not doing uh, what is right because they are constantly taking their eyes off of God and serving the idols uh, of the nations around them. And they are constantly rebuked for this. And ultimately, that's what led to their destruction. So idolatry is a big deal, and this idea of lifting up our soul to that which is vain or false. Vanity also contains this idea of being nothing. It's um, not having any impact whatsoever. There's no meaning. There's no value to what you're doing. So what are things in your life that have no value? What are things that you are currently doing that don't have any meaning? Just avoid doing those things. You want to keep your focus on God, you want to be able to keep your focus where it needs to be. And you can do that by staying in his word, obviously. Another thing to avoid from this passage is to swear deceitfully. And that comes from a Hebrew word Shabbat, which is a root for the word, the number seven. And in fact, uh, Shabbat, the seventh day of the week comes from that Sabbath. So to swear deceitfully is um, in a literal application to seven oneself. It's when you um, repeat something seven times to affirm the truth of a matter. You're swearing seven times to affirm the truth. Well, that also goes for what's negative. Um, you might swear to something seven times saying it's true when in fact it's false. And that's something obviously that we needs to be avoided. You know, It reminds me of the saying that if you lie enough times, eventually the lie becomes the truth, at least to you. So we have to avoid swearing deceitfully. Here's another passage in 1 Timothy verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So what are we encouraged to do from this verse? Well, we Paul says we should have a good conscience. And this goes back to the idea of having clean or innocent hands, being guiltless in our actions with others, having a beneficial co-perception. That's what conscience is. Conscience is... With science or knowledge, it it's this idea of uh, you have a knowledge or an understanding that is aside your own understanding. Um, that co-perception is a root of um, keeping people on the straight and narrow. They don't want to do things against their conscience. And again, that's another aspect of apartness. Some people don't listen to their conscience. Um, as part of holiness and part of being set apart and having a pure heart, we need to have. Uh, a good conscience by doing what's right at all times. This passage also says to have a sincere faith. This is a conviction or a deep persuasion, which is unfeigned. It's not faked, and it's without hypocrisy. And the benefit is that when we have a good conscience and a sincere faith, that love will issue from our heart to others. And that's ultimately the goal. Here's another passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we're encouraged uh, from this passage to obey the truth. Don't just say that you obey the truth. Don't just say you believe that the Bible's true. You need to do it. You need to do the Bible. You need to live out those principles. You need to act with integrity. You need to be vigilant. You need to be compassionate and forgive others. And act from a heart of holiness. It's set apart. That's the challenge of living a believer's life. It says we're to love one another earnestly. And the picture here is to do so with a stretched out hand. As if someone is helping someone to another level. Or reaching out their hand in compassion to lift them up out of whatever whatever they have fallen into that is not beneficial to them. You're lifting them out. You're bringing them along. That's fervently wanting to help them. And one final passage is James chapter four, verse eight, which says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So obviously to do in this verse, uh, things that we're encouraged to do is to draw near to God. When we draw near to God, that's like asking him to cleanse our heart, to purify our heart. We're drawing near to him. We're also to cleanse our hands again. There's that reference to cleansing your hands coming from your pure heart. When you cleanse your hands, you're going to be purifying your heart. We'll talk about that in a second. Things to avoid in this passage. Not to be distracted with other things or unable to choose. This double-mindedness here that's talked about in James, it's actually pretty fascinating. It's the Greek phrase, which means two-spirited, or vacillating in opinion between two different purposes or opinions. So if your hands are not cleansed in righteous actions and if the heart is not pure, then a state of double-mindedness is prevalent because you're not sure which path to take and you don't have a clear objective. But with purity of heart comes singleness of purpose. So if you're distracted and if you can't make decisions and you can't find what needs to happen in your life, it may be that you need to do some introspective um, thinking on what's going on in your heart. When your heart is right, your actions will be right. When your actions are right, you get singleness of purpose and you get clarity. All of this stems from a pure heart. You know, one of my favorite Christian commentators um, is Albert Barnes, and he has some interesting notes on Matthew 5.8. And talking about this concept of being pure in heart, he says, Those whose minds, motives, and principles are pure, who seek not only to have external actions correct, but who desire to be holy in heart, and who are so, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So that's an aspect of purity of heart that we need to maintain at all times. But then he also um, has commentary on the phrase, they shall see God. And this is kind of cool. To see the face of one or to be in the presence of anyone were terms among the Jews expressive of great favor. It was regarded as a high honor to be in the presence of kings and princes and to be permitted to see them. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, He shall stand before kings. Uh, 2 Kings 25 says, Those that stood in the king's presence. And in the Hebrew, those that saw the face of the king, that is, who were his favorites and his friends. So here, to see God means to be his friends and his favorites, and to dwell with him in his kingdom. Now additionally, the Bible tells us that the heart doesn't just need to be pure, it needs to be continually purified. This is similar to the cleansing effect of fire on precious metals, refining them until they have no contrary elements left or no elements that are not part <clears throat> of what they're trying to produce as they refine these metals. And there's an interesting description here from James Patch who is on Bible Hub Uh, It's just a a quote that they had posted there. And I thought it was very interesting about the refining process, uh, how it works, um, and as it's referenced so many times in the Bible. And he says, most of the Bible references are to the refining of silver. And the silver used by the ancients was probably obtained by smelting lead sulfide ore, which is rich in silver. And after the ore had been reduced to a metallic condition, the lead was separated from the silver by blowing hot air over the surface of the melted metal. And the lead was thus changed to lead oxide, which in a powdered condition was driven away by the air blast. And the resulting lead oxide, called in the Bible silver dross, that may be a familiar term to you, it was used for glazing pottery. He continues, in a figurative sense, various Bible references. in the various Bible references, the refining of precious metals is used figuratively to illustrate the kind of trial that God's children are called upon to go through. And if they're the right metal, the dross will finally be blown away, leaving pure, clear, shining silver. If of a base metal, they will be like the dross described in Jeremiah 6. The refiner may blow fiercely, but in vain, for nothing but lead dross appears. So I found that fascinating. Obviously, this idea of refining has to do with cleansing and purifying. And so here are some of those refining verses just to give you some perspective. Psalm 66, 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. That word tried is the refining. Proverbs 25, 4. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Daniel 12, verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Zechariah 13.9 And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Malachi three three. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So through all of these, we can see that refinement is the state of being free from a mixture of false and true until only what is sincere and genuine remains. Let me say that again. Refinement is the state of being free from a mixture of false and true until only what is sincere and genuine remains. And this is a process, not an instant occurrence. As you can tell from these passages, some of this refining takes place through affliction, and some is self-induced by those who are wise. The implication, of course, is that if it's not done voluntarily, then God can make it happen by outside means, because he obviously demands his people to be pure and holy. So another example of ongoing refinement is that Refinement is like a vine that is pruned of dead, unproductive branches so the plant has energy and room to bear more fruit. Of course, the most famous passage here in reference to this concept is John 15, verses 1-8. through I am the true vine, Yeshua says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's interesting in this passage too, is there is a line of thought that's not without merit that this uh, pruning process actually involves a bit of refinement as well. Um, in the passage here where Yeshua says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This idea of the burning of those branches, um, you know, in popular context is, well, those got thrown away, they're burned, like in the fires of hell or something. But what this thought is, is that the branches that are pruned and removed are thrown into the fire and they are refined in the fire. This goes back to the concept of recognizing that if You do not purify your own heart voluntarily, that God can purify it for you, for his name's sake. So, interesting concept, something to think about when you think about things being burned. A lot of times it could be their refinement as well. So we have covered quite a bit of real estate today as we've looked at this topic of purity of heart and holiness And I'm sure there are a lot of thoughts just swirling around in your mind. Let's try and boil some of this down. What are some of the main things that we need to take away from this? So let's review some of the negative actions we should avoid. And of course, this isn't comprehensive, but let's focus on some of the main ones. Uh, One of them is lifting up the soul to what is false or what is vanity. Remember, if we're not doing what is correct, uh, if we're doing something that has no value, then it has no value and we shouldn't waste our time on it. It's vain. It has no meaning and we should focus on the things that have meaning. Uh, Secondly, we have to remember not to swear deceitfully or to reaffirm things that are not true. It's the same thing as sevening yourself. Remember, you don't want to continue to repeat things that are not true because that does not breed purity. And then also we don't want to be distracted with other things or unable to choose. We want to be um, of a single mind and to have singleness of purpose, and that is what fosters a pure heart. And so what are some of the positive exhortations of purity of heart that we should also be practicing? We have to remember, first of all, to ask God to begin the process. We have to remember having clean or innocent hands that has to do with bright actions to be able to be doing what's right at all times, having those clean hands. Have a good conscience And to have a sincere faith, a deep conviction or deep persuasion, uh, to obey the truth, not just say that we believe things, but to actually do them, and of course, to love one another earnestly. Some passages that speak to this concept of holiness and purity, I would include the following passages, 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Because remember, if you're pure of heart, you can see God. Third John uh, 1, verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Again, this concept of being in God's presence or seeing him. And then, of course, one of the most famous passages, Hebrews 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's that concept of seeing the Lord again. So living in this way is what sets us apart from the rest of humanity. And that's ultimately what holiness is, being set apart for God's purpose. Well, that's our lesson today on the concept of holiness by having purity of heart. And I hope there may have been one or two truths in there that helped you to see things in a new way and encouraged you to draw closer to God or to remain as the branch attached to the vine, but most importantly, allowing you to love others more deeply you be sure to visit coreofthebible.org to join the conversation or leave comments, access the show notes, and to find free downloadable resources regarding the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. That's coreofthebible.org. So thanks again for your interest in listening today. I really appreciate it. And um, as always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.